0: Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging.
1: Coming up, what an audit of trade in the Border Rivers region has uncovered.
2: So we found two instances where there were where water was taken and on the records in the water register it hadn't been approved yet for take. Uh, It was approved after the fact.
1: Whether the community should be concerned about the findings. The
2: community ask for
3: truth and transparency in the water industry and I don't think it's unreasonable for them to be concerned about any water matters at all.
1: And what's been done to address discrepancies.
4: Uh, And I think that's what, generally speaking, uh, the community expects, is that not only are things metered, but then uh, when things are being traded, that that's being accurately recorded.
1: I'm your host, Annabelle Hudson. Today, I'm joined by the Deputy Inspector-General, Daniel Blacker, Director of Audit and Investigations, Matt Wilkes, and Assistant Director of Audit and Investigations, Elliot Raboy.
0: Welcome to What Is Edge?,
1: Joining us on the line today is Troy Grant, the Inspector General of Water Compliance. How are you today, Troy?
5: I'm terrific. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks for having us once again on Water's Edge.
1: Fantastic. Now, Troy, this um, episode, we're going to be talking about the Border Rivers Trade Audit. Can you just give us a little bit of an overview as to why you wanted to do this audit?
5: Yeah, look, we, as we've spoken on other podcasts, have a couple of critical statutory roles. Uh, Compliance uh, is the most obvious one. Uh, where we do a lot of our regulatory work. Uh, We also have an oversight um, body of powers where we look at water management practices and systems as well, and then inquiry powers. Uh, And underpinning all that is our uh, communication with the basin community uh, to try and overall put them all together to restore trust and confidence. And throughout water management in the state, uh, what we've learnt is that trade, the trading of water is uh, a paramount concern uh, of everyone in the basin and it's really um, been subject to some critical analysis through the ACCC report regarding trade markets across the state about the quality of them and specific to the murray Darling Basin plan there are some um, very specific trade responsibilities that we carry forward in our office so our team uh, of audit and investigation led by our director Matt Wilkes uh, they do a series of audits uh, both proactively and reactively into some of the arrangements that currently take place and Border River Trades is uh, the one that's been focused on in this episode.
1: Tell us a little bit about Matt and what his role and his team is, is doing for the Inspector General's Office.
5: We were taken back just recently when we did a community survey at the Henty Field Days about how important good trade practices are uh, across the Murray-Darling Basin when it ranked as number one Uh, area of interest for people who completed the survey and water management as you know is very complex and technical Uh, but when it comes to certain activities like trading uh, there's some pretty black and white requirements under legislation and uh, the arrangements in the Murray Dullan Basin Plan and this particular audit uh, that Matt Wilkes and Elliot Raboy will talk to you about on a technical basis was to make sure that the systems and the processes and the accounting methods uh, were up to a good standard, that we're properly accounting for the trading of water uh, from New South Wales or Queensland and vice versa, and what is being recorded and the quality of their systems, uh, and to give everyone, particularly the, the water users themselves, confidence as they're making business decisions for Um, their crops going forward or their use of water for their plantations that uh, when they're trading water that the system supporting that is robust, is transparent and uh, is up to speed with uh, what's required pursuant to the act. So with no further ado I'll hand over to the experts to take everyone through what is a complex but very important subject matter that's uh, part of our remit of their
0: work. This is Water's Edge For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.
1: Okay, let's get this underway. Um, We might start off, Troy gave a little bit of an overview as to the purpose of of the audit, but we might get Dan to run us through um, a little bit more detail about what the purpose of the audit was, what the scope was, um, and, and what it set out to achieve.
4: So, as the Inspector General was saying, um, we've got responsibility to base and scale for sustainable diversion limit compliance. And so, one of the really important things for us is that we're getting accurate information coming through from states. So, each state whether it's new south wales queensland or one of the other states in the basin they're responsible for their own water management within their jurisdiction um, including water trade Um, but when things start to move across borders or they've got an impact on sustainable limits under the basin plan that's where we come in Um, and in this audit we're particularly interested in looking at the accuracy of how both new south wales and queensland were dealing with water trades as they moved either from New South Wales to Queensland or from Queensland to New South Wales. So that accuracy then plays into the, um, the numbers that we get that we add up to make the sustainable diversion limit. And so as we come to make a decision on compliance or even enforcement in that space, we're really keen to make sure that those numbers are really accurate so we've got a clear picture of what's actually happening on the ground.
1: And something that we'll be referring to a little bit um, is something called permanently linked works. Elliot, I might get you to run us through what exactly is a permanently linked work.
2: Permanently linked works are mentioned quite a bit uh, across this audit report uh, and mainly because we were looking at uh, any transfer of water that uh, went interstate between Queensland and New South Wales. So a good portion of this was what's called permanent linked works. So that made up um, approximately 83% of all border river transfers during that period. So permanent link works, uh, if we can sort of explain it in a simple way, um, say Annabelle, you're a farmer, you've got uh, two farms, one on the New South Wales side of the McIntyre River uh, and one on the Queensland side and you've got water in your New South Wales account. If you set up a permanent link work so you get that approved, you can actually transfer water uh, through an application when you require it in Queensland. So there's a debit and credit of water that goes from one side to the other. Um, so that really is the, uh, the crux of what a permanent link work is. So we also call it a tag, a tag trade.
1: Okay, let's get into some of the findings of the audit.
2: So what we did, we, we took a, a sample of a period in time of all the, the, the transfers of, of water across the, the border rivers. Uh, so we looked at that sample Was 61% of all total volume traded between Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, and some of the, the, the findings that we had, we looked at uh, all the trades and transfers and, and looked to see at, for accuracy, uh, completeness, cutoff and existence. And on the whole, we, we found quite a few inaccuracies. Um, so totally 5% of all samples tested, um, where either the, uh, the volume traded was incorrectly put on a water register or whether the applications that had gone through didn't even appear, so that the, the trades didn't actually reflect what was in the water register, um, so w- which is quite concerning. Uh, there were other areas as well that we, we found that uh, the so-called mentioned permanently leaked works that we were talking about beforehand um, haven't been treated as a trade, so they haven't gone through the same approval process as, as a uh, allocation trade would have gone through
1: and something that's been a bit of a sticking point is the definition of a trade so when you were doing this audit what was considered the definition of a a trade
2: yep the the the, the basin plan sets out a a broad definition so section 1.07 in the basin plan um, says that uh, trade includes a reference to transfer Uh, and it goes on then to also indicate what uh, uh, to, to avoid any doubt a trade includes a trade that does not involve a payment for consideration. So that's going back to that permanent link works that we were talking about. Uh, Annabelle, your account, you're, you're both the uh, account holder on both sides uh, and that's what it's referring to. Uh, and also that, that no monetary value um, took place there as well. So you're transferring your own water. Uh, and that, that's what we would define as a trade as per the basin plan.
3: I think it's more important to, to, to understand that in this audit, we found more than just that.
2: And that's one sticking
3: point, as you, as you said Annabelle, but of greater concern is probably the inaccurate accounting that has been, that has been found.
1: So what were some of those inaccuracies?
2: Yeah, well, some of those inaccuracies were due to the fact that uh, these permanently linked works aren't being treated as a trade. Uh, so we found that um, it was very difficult to reconcile some of these transfers. Um, the interstate and intrastate transfers are all linked together. Uh, making it very difficult to uh, to individualise what's been occurring and reconcile it with the New South Wales side.
1: Did you find any instances where water was being taken without approval?
2: We we did. Uh, so we we found two instances where there were where water was taken and on the records in the water register it hadn't been approved yet for take. Uh, it was approved after the fact. Uh, we and also. That's no-no. And that's a no no. And that's a no no. So that that would be uh, that's. That's a a compliance issue there.
1: And, Dan, this might be something you could talk about a bit more, but are there any consequences for that sort of um, activity?
4: Yeah, there certainly is, Annabelle. So that's where the compliance role comes in and the state of the primary compliance agency in that uh, situation. So Queensland will investigate those instances and look to see what, if any breaches have occurred. And if there is non-compliance, they'll look at their policies around... um, uh, what, if any, enforcement action should be taken and one of the recommendations coming out of the audit was that they supply the findings of those uh, investigations to the Inspector General so that we can have a look and be satisfied that that's been closed out.
1: So what role does metering play in this?
4: Yeah, it's a really good question Annabelle, so um, metering is required in both jurisdictions for water take and <clears throat> I think uh, New South Wales are just at the back end of their metering reforms at the moment. so they're uplifting their accuracy, their coverage, and also their timeliness uh, in relation to metering. Um, One of the things we did pick up in the audit, particularly in the findings, was that uh, in Queensland, before a trade is approved, uh, the policy is that a a meter read is required. Um, Whereas in New South Wales, the approval agency doesn't require a meter read before they approve a trade. So that's one where um, there's not a compliance issue, um, and it's a choice of the New South Wales agency about their policy. But we're highlighting where there's room for improvement in the system uh, and where we can get a greater level of consistency across the two, two jurisdictions. So, we're, we did recommend that Water New South um, Wales re- change their policy to require a meter reading uh, before. Uh, a trade is approved and in the management response coming from New South Wales they've highlighted that uh, with the improvements to their metering and particularly with telemetry coming online which gives them real-time information that that'll become much easier for them to implement uh, moving forward.
2: That's right Dan and the risk of uh, quarterly meter reads or relying on quarterly meter reads is that the, the data is out of date so if they are um, doing an allocation trade, the, the, the seller of the water has to have a certain amount of water in that account to be able to sell it, uh, if they're relying on data which is three months old, that water might not be in their account.
1: I think Troy's used this analogy before, it's, it's kind of like a, a banking situation, you know, your bank isn't going to let you transfer money if you don't have the funds to be able to do it. So it's a similar sort of, um, I guess, scenario with water. Something that this report's highlighted is that 83% of all the interstate trade, or 26.3 gigalitres, is through works that are permanently linked. How much do you think this affects the water market?
4: In a lot of instances, this is um, movement of water... Uh, by location but not necessarily by owner. So typically when people think of the water market they think of a change of ownership. Um, But in the Basin Plan it it does say that trade can be a change of location. So um, it's quite a technical definition but the, the consequence is when you're moving water by location but not by owner you're often not affecting the market more broadly because you've still got the same owner, and it's not affecting the supply of water into the market. Um, and the other thing to think about here is the um, circumstances where this occurs. So it's the only place in the border between New South Wales and Queensland where this trading's occurring. So it's pretty localised, um, It 26 gigs a lot of water, but in the context of how much water is actually being consumed, uh, I think the impact is relatively low.
3: Although, um the impact is low. The, uh, the 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 fact remains that it was a transfer needs to be treated as a trade, as per the definition within the Murray Darling Basin Plan. And so, although the effect is low, there is still that issue there that that it must be considered a trade because the act that the Basin Plan says that.
4: It's an important point, and it's one not lost at the moment on the back of. You know, the ACCC did an inquiry into water markets, uh, and it's a live topic at the moment as to government's response to that. But accuracy in, in the water markets was a pretty key uh, factor that the ACCC picked up on. And they're particularly keen to highlight that, that generally speaking, uh, coming out of that um, inquiry, that, that accuracy needed to be improved, data needed to be improved. All of that plays into the transparency of the market.
1: This trading that we're seeing in the Border Rivers area, and obviously the audit didn't look at the southern part of the basin with the Victoria-New Victoria, Victoria New South Wales slash South Australian border, but is this issue unique to the Border Rivers region?
2: Uh, they're quite different areas. Um, and, uh, I mean, if we just look at the New South Wales-Queensland area, um, Queensland don't recognise tag trades. Um, it,
1: so what's a tag trade? Tag
2: trades are, are these permit link works. So in the Basin Plan they're called tag trades, uh, which is a bit different in the Southern Basin. Um, so when you've got New South Wales and Queensland working together in this, on this border area, um, there are added complexities there.
1: With so much work being done across the Basin to improve practices and policies and operations, and, as well as the culture, um, based on this audit, are things really improving?
4: It's a big question um, and one that we ask ourselves quite a bit Um, and I think the short answer is yes. Um, What tends to happen is um, by nature often when we're looking at compliance and we're looking at risk we're always going to the places where we think there might be an issue or a risk or a concern Um, and so it's not unusual to come out of an audit with a range of findings for improvements and I think more importantly is how the the different jurisdictions and agencies respond to the audit and findings and and our hope is, and certainly what we're seeing at the moment is, um, that agencies will take uh, a, a look at our findings as an opportunity to improve and And it's just about continually improving that system. And I think we've mentioned before that we think a lot of what we saw in these arrangements occur in the border rivers as a localised arrangement. We don't see the risks of that being broader uh, systemically across the basin, because the conditions that arise here don't tend to arise in other places in the same way. So um, we don't see that systemic risk, but, um, and we've seen some really good responses from Uh, both Queensland and New South Wales in their management responses which are published on our website alongside the audit Um, and that gives a good indication that they're both approaching this as an opportunity to improve a learning exercise um, and an opportunity to make sure that the system's robust and out of that comes trust and confidence.
1: I guess the purpose of this podcast is to kind of communicate to the community um, some of the findings and break it down for them into terms that are a bit more understandable or digestible. So is there anything that this audit has found that the community should be concerned about?
3: The community, they ask us, ask for truth and transparency in the water industry. And I don't think it's unreasonable for them to be concerned about any water matters at all. Um, this audit is just one of many that have been conducted over the years in the water industry. It's raised some issues that the states have uh, uh, involved, have committed to doing some work on in the recommendations but ultimately none of the findings were something that they can't work on to improve for next time.
2: Yeah, I mean, there are obviously some concerns in the inaccuracies of any record keeping uh, government departments as well. I mean, you're looking at uh, records of registers of water where people have have put spent money and their livelihoods on, so but they want to be confident or be assured that when they send through applications that they're recorded correctly, uh, and they're not going to be done for compliance if they were incorrectly recorded. Uh, and from a, a larger perspective as well, the public want to know that uh, water is being managed correctly. So I think this is a good wake up call for. The two jurisdictions to to have a look at their practices as well, and and see whether they can uh, close those those inaccuracies up. The other thing I'd just pick up
4: on, Annabelle, is that um, whilst it's really important that people get the fundamentals right, and we've been you know, particularly in our first year as an inspector general, really focused on the basics. So focused on things like metering um, accuracy of uh, of the market, etc we don't see the volumes or the discrepancies that we found as kind of materially impacting sustainable diversion limit compliance so we're quite comfortable that it's not impacting the macro decisions but we are keen to see the basics and the fundamentals in place Uh, and I think that's what, generally speaking, uh, the community expects, is that not only are things metered, but then uh, when things are being traded, that that's being accurately recorded uh, so that we've got that really clear transparency about what's going on in in a water area or in the water market.
1: Something that was uh, mentioned in the report is manual adjustments. So what are manual adjustments, and are they allowed to do that? And is that something that the community should be worried about?
2: Uh, When we looked at the Queensland uh, accounts uh, for for their water register, there were a number of customer accounts which had manual adjustments uh, linked to the volumes of water uh, with no indication of why these adjustments were were made. Uh, They weren't time stamped either, Uh, so very difficult as auditors to, to Trace. Our understanding is that there weren't a lot of those no.
4: um, and we it's a fairly um, small volume and not significant in terms of the trades but it, this really goes back to our um, kind of purpose for being in this space which is uh, accuracy equals uh, transparency and transparency equals trust and so we're just encouraging jurisdictions uh, to get their policies and practices and procedures in place so that We can be really confident that that sort of uh, manual adjustment isn't occurring in the future Um, and certainly we're not overly concerned about it in this audit but uh, we want to make sure that we get to a a best practice model about how we
3: account for that uh, in in each area. Their commitment to improve on those areas has been made quite clear.
1: So Matt, what can the Inspector-General do uh, about the problems identified in this audit?
3: Well, as an office, we'll look to to see uh, the states implement uh, those uh, recommendations as uh, soon as they can and, and uh, we'll determine at a later date whether another piece of work needs to happen.
1: Are you giving them a timeline to, to get things in order?
3: Uh, at this stage, we're not looking towards a timeline, but we would expect it to be completed timely. Uh, we will go back and have a look at those recommendations in due course where there's been plenty of time for them to make those changes. And have another another look, and um, it's important that as an inspector general, we don't do an audit, drop it, and walk away. It is important for us to to follow up on recommendations that we have made, especially when the uh, uh, state has agreed to implement those recommendations.
1: What has the response been from the states? O- obviously, up on the website, we've we've got um, a state from New South Wales and Queensland has provided I guess an interim statement Um, but what what have they said?
3: So New South Wales has provided us with a final managerial response where they have agreed with our findings, um, have agreed with our recommendations and have definitely made clear that they look forward to working with the Inspector General on those recommendations and their implementation of them. Queensland have provided an interim response. They have 90 days under the uh, Water Act to respond to us with formal, final managerial response.
1: Dan, have you had any interactions with ministers or, or the state regulatory bodies involved?
4: We talk pretty frequently with jurisdictions, as you can imagine, because we've got to coordinate across a whole range of compliance activities, and we've certainly been talking about this trade over a long period of time. Um, we've got an indication from um, agencies at senior executive level in both New South Wales and Queensland that they're They're looking at this as an opportunity to improve and to um, uh, mature those arrangements because I think this is a classic case of a localised arrangement that's been in place over a long period of time Um, and whilst it's worked for each of those jurisdictions over a long period of time as we start to look at things more and more through the lens of a whole of basin management and less as a state border issue. Um, that, that there are some changes that need to be made and so both uh, jurisdictions are looking at it through that lens and, uh, and that's kind of the expectation of us as an Inspector General at a Commonwealth level that we're looking at everything through the lens of the basin and the needs of the basin and states naturally and quite rightly so have to manage within their borders. Um, but when things start to cross borders and they start to have an impact or a consequence at a whole of basin scale, that's where we come in and, and uh, start to um, look at areas of risk and through audits like this, we point out where improvements can be made.
3: I think it's important to also identify that the states were uh, quite supportive of the audit. They participated in the audit with the auditees when uh, we were asking for information it was provided. Uh, when we needed discussions of clarification, it was provided, and um, I think that's important to producing a, an audit such as this. Uh, you can't provide something if the information is half-hearted or, or, or provided poorly. It was provided very well, and we were able to make our findings based on that.
1: So the public can have confidence that the states cooperated, um, you know, to, to a standard that you're pretty happy with. It doesn't appear that they're trying to withhold information. Um, as part of this audit.
3: I don't think they were withholding any information at all through this audit. The uh, information we got was what we requested. All
1: right, well, if anyone's interested in looking at this report and the associated responses from New South Wales and Queensland, that's all on the Inspector General of Water Compliance's website under the Reviews and Reports section. I'd like to thank Elliot, Matt and Daniel for their time today and Troy earlier on in the episode. Thank you for joining us on Water's Edge.
0: Thanks for having us, Annabelle. Thanks, Annabelle. Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.